Hello and welcome, fight fans, to episode number 190 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. This is the review episode for uh, the week of October 8th, 2019. And uh, we got a bunch to discuss this week, including some rants from yours truly about what we saw Saturday and um, just what I see on social as it relates to the whole situation in the welterweight division right now. I have to speak up about it because, you know, that's why you guys listen to the show. Uh, Before I get into some quick news and notes, I want to remind you guys, I do not charge a monetary fee for this podcast. So please, if you want to contribute, we have a Patreon page, patreon.com slash Montero Unboxing. We have, uh, you could do Super Chat right here on the YouTube, the live YouTube. Of course, we sell MOBTs, sold a couple last week from LA, that was crazy. But the best thing you could do if you're watching live right now on YouTube, share this video. That is your homework. If you're watching right now, that is your assignment. Share the video because YouTube changed the algorithm again. I don't know what the hell they did, but my views have dropped significantly. And I keep getting a bunch of DMs from you guys saying that you're not getting notifications about my live video. So I don't know what the hell is going on with YouTube. I don't know if somebody flagged the channel or what's going on, but... Uh, viewership has dropped. I don't know what's happened with the algorithm, but they've obviously changed something because I've tried to do some searches for my name, boxing, uh, MOB, that kind of stuff. And we come up way down in the search. We used to come up first, second, third. I mean, the whole first page, it was nothing but Montero unboxing. And now suddenly we're way down the list. So I don't know what the hell happened. Share this video, please share this video, share the channel, get it out there. That is the best thing you could do to help me out. Okay. Let's go ahead and get the party started. Uh, Some real quick news and notes, and you guys already know about this if you watched the Spence Porter pay-per-view on Saturday, but Deontay Wilder, Luis Ortiz, that is uh, official. Finally, that is official for uh, November 23rd, only eight weeks ahead of the fight. So eight weeks to promote it, and for the fighters, well, they've already started preparations, but eight weeks. Uh, They really, I mean, they kind of unofficially announced it, I feel like, almost six months ago. Right? We all knew this was going to happen, but they were going back and forth about dates and networks. And I reported just recently on the show that it was probably going to showtime because of loyalty and everything Steven Espinosa talked about, him overpaying for Wilder at Brazil. None of that mattered. There's no loyalty in boxing. They went where the money was, and they went where the better marketing is, and that's with Fox. So uh, Wilder Ortiz 2, November 23rd, MGM Grand Las Vegas, Fox Sports pay-per-view once again. You guys will have to dip into your pockets for pay-per-view. I can't even count the number of pay-per-views in the last, what, 10 calendar months from PBC. They are absolutely gouging the fans. I'm a fan of some of these fights. I think they're good matchups. They are the kind of matchups you guys were promised for free not too long ago in 2015, 2016, even 2017. Those free fights, quote-unquote, went away. Everything shifted over to Showtime, and then they started going the pay-per-view route. So everything that you guys were told as fans, I'm not going to say it was a lie, but they haven't held up their end of the bargain. Meanwhile, there are other platforms still charging you money, but it's $10 a month, $5 a month, whatever it is. I should say for the record, Top Rank on ESPN did do one pay-per-view this year, and it was shit. And that, of course, was uh, Bud Crawford, who I'll talk a lot about in this episode in Amir Khan. That should have been pay-per-view, obviously. But other than that, you're getting so much more value for your buck in other parts of the universe in boxing. So um, do I like Wilder Ortiz 2 as a fight? Sure. Do I think it belongs on pay-per-view? 
absolutely freaking not. Uh, we got a super chat already from Rocco De, De Felipe's. Thank you very, very much, De Felipe's. Thank you so much, man. Uh, he says, hi, Mike. I love your show. Best boxing podcast ever. But for once, I disagree with you. Porter had a close Saturday night. I know that this will piss you off as you think he is just swinging awkwardly. No, Rocco, look, you're not the only one. For the record, Doug Fisher, who I respect more than just about anybody in the entire boxing industry, had Porter winning Saturday night. So there are a lot of people that I, that I trust and love and, and value their input that had Porter. I just completely disagree. Thank you again for the super chat, Rocco. And no, you, look, your, your score doesn't piss me off. You have your reasons. I'm going to get into later in the show why I feel Spence not only won, but clearly won. And I think a lot of you guys, and I, I said this to Doug, I said this to Doug the night of the fight, because we met up uh, at a restaurant uh, after, uh, after everything at LA Live. We walked over to the Palm, which is like, I don't know, a thousand feet from LA Live. And, and we met there, Mauricio Suleiman was there, who I have to say, as much shit as I give Mauricio Suleiman on social media and the WBC with some of their million title belts and all that, and I have a little fun, Mauricio couldn't have been nicer. Um, was absolutely cool to me. And I got to say that meant a lot because a lot of these guys that I uh, criticize, I'll just say criticize on social media are not so friendly when I meet them in person. But he couldn't have been cooler to, to me and some of my friends and family that I had with me. So anyway, um, but yes, Rocco, you're not the only one that had Porter ahead that you know is reasonable with the way you guys score fights. I just disagree um, Gail says, Gail Falkenthal says, Mauricio Suleiman is truly a gentleman as a person, the real deal, very gracious guy. Yeah, I, 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 he, he couldn't have been cooler. He couldn't have been nicer and that made an impression on me. Am I still going to make fun of the franchise belt and the interim belt and the diamond belt and the money belt? Yep, <laughs> I'm still going to make fun of it because I don't like it. But I do give the WBC credit. You guys know this about me. I give them credit for the clean boxing program. We talked about that while we were there. Uh, Saturday night, and uh, for I like their seven and thirty day uh, pre fight uh, check in weigh ins. So I like some of the things that WBC does, but anyway, I don't want to get into a tangent on the BC. Um, okay, let me get back to my notes here. Thank you once again for the super chat, Rocco. We will get into the score in a little bit, I promise you. Real quick though, this isn't really news, but I thought it was interesting. So I did a poll, one of my world famous polls on my Twitter. Uh, just, I think, 24 hours ago. I did it yesterday. I don't even think it's been 24 full hours. Over 2,000 of you voted. So clearly, this thing hit. It went viral. A lot of you responded, okay? Uh, Who is the best welterweight in the world, I asked. I said, not based on accomplishment. I said, based on head-to-head, if they fought today, all of them, who would be the last man standing? And 64% of you, again, it's not like 20 people voted. Over 2,000 people voted. 64,000 of you said Crawford. Terrence Crawford. 23% of you said Errol Spence. 12% of you said Manny Pacquiao. Only 1% said other. So what does that tell us? It tells us that clearly most people feel Terrence Crawford, almost two-thirds of the boxing universe feels Terrence Crawford is the best welterweight in terms of head-to-head. In terms of who should be rated number one right now, that's, that's Errol Spence, and I'll get into that later. But um, also... It's a three-headed monster because 99% of the people who voted in this poll voted for either Crawford, Spence, or Pack. That means less than 1% of you out there feel it's somebody else. 
So there's a three-headed monster right now at welterweight. We kind of have a situation at welterweight similar to what we have at heavyweight. There's similarities, there's parallels, and there's differences. But it's, it's very similar in the sense that there's not one clear person that has really separated themselves. You're just kind of going off the eye test, right? So anyway, I just thought that was interesting and wanted to mention it to you guys. Let's get into the review because we have a lot of stuff to review. And then I want to talk about the PBC, specifically the PBC welterweight situation. Some of the things I see and a lot of things I don't like. And somebody needs to call it out. And I see some defenders in the media, quote-unquote media, I do say that with air quotes because some of these guys just are, are super fans with a credential. But let me, let me say, all media are super fans. Everybody in the boxing media is a fan of the sport. So, you know, I, that's obvious. But there are some people who are just basically taking selfies with fighters and just happy to be there and doing puff pieces. And every entity, every platform has them. But here in the United States boxing press, it does seem to be more prevalent with the PBC, and I'll get into that later on. So sit tight for that. Have a beer right now as we do the review, and we'll get into the heavy, heavy stuff later on in the show. Okay, Friday, September 27th. Robert Al- uh, Royal Albert Hall, Kensington, London, ESPN Plus here in the U.S. of A and BT Sport over in the U.K. Daniel Dubois improves to th- uh, 13-0, 12 knockouts, only 22 years old. Scores a TKO one win over Ghana native Ebenezer Tete. Tetez. Uh, this fight really didn't prove anything, but it kept Daniel Dubois busy, and it shows that he continues to improve on his craft. Punches are getting straighter. He is getting more fundamentally sound. He's getting better with his balance and his angles. It was not even three minutes of work, but you could see all that in this fight. So clearly, and look, I took shit for it. I took shit for it from a lot of, not just crazies on Twitter, but for some of my colleagues in the media, it's, I swear for over a year now, I've been saying Daniel Dubois is my favorite heavyweight prospect. Now everyone seems to be catching up. Funny how that shit works. Now that it's safe to say it. And F.A. Ajagba and Philip Hergovich haven't necessarily set the world on fire recently. Now everyone else is saying what I've been saying for a while. Anyway, September 28th, another heavyweight prospect that I think continues to Show signs of improvement and some upside. Tony Yoka out of France. He had a fight over in France, improved a 6-0, TKO3 win. I'm still higher on Dubois, but Tony Yoka is interesting. So I'm going to keep an eye on him. Okay, let's get to the big one. Saturday, Los Angeles, downtown, Staples Center. You guys who follow me on social, you saw me post a billion different pictures and tweets. I was having a good time, working my ass off. I was delirious, didn't get a whole lot of sleep. That accounted for some of the crazy posts and the pictures and the photos from everywhere as I was hanging out. But it really was an awesome trip, man. And I got another one coming right up. Going to be in Chicago soon for Usyk and Spung. So uh, I'll see a lot of my Chicago peeps up there. Some of you guys from Chicago came to L.A. and actually saw my brother and didn't see me while you're in L.A. I'll see you when I'm in Chicago. Okay, Staples Center. FS1, there was preliminary bouts. And uh, the last preliminary bout, Robert Guerrero scores a unanimous decision win over Gerald Thomas of Texas. This was not a very good fight. It was close. It was very, very close. Um, I, I shouldn't say close. It was competitive. It was competitive. Gerald Thomas, out of Kansas, had never fought outside of Kansas. Um, really, this was the fight of his life, and he gave a good performance. I thought 
He did pretty well in the early rounds, but toward the later rounds, class started to show. And even though Rabbit Guerrero is well past his best, um, he wanted to, he wants to keep going here. He retired after the loss to Omar Figueroa in 2017. He's 3-0 now since his comeback. Hasn't really set the world on fire. The fans were booing during the second half of this fight. So uh, I don't really know what he's doing other than staying busy and having fun being in the ring. Anyway, then it was over to pay-per-view. And in the first pay-per-view fight, the fight that I thought would steal the show ended up being just a one-sided absolute ass-whooping. Jose Cito Lopez improves to 36-8, I believe, uh, against uh, KO8 win against John Molina Jr., who is now 30-8, I believe, as a pro. Um, so, look, I, I did a lot of talking about this fight beforehand. You guys saw my interview with John Molina, uh, my piece on Ring TV, just kind of previewing the fight and everything. Molina just didn't look good in this fight. I mean, right away, the first big overhand right from Lopez, who looked really, really sharp, uh, just didn't, he didn't absorb it well. It, it was kind of to the temple, it was. But Molina was down twice in the first round, once from a vicious body shot, a vicious body shot from Lopez. And I still don't know how the hell John Molina got up from that body shot. It was brutal, and it really reminded me of Arturo Gatti when he got up against um, Mickey Ward, one of those left hooks to the body. And uh, people just couldn't believe Arturo Gatti was able to get up. I mean, I saw John Molina grimacing the same way when he went down that Arturo was in that fight. And grimacing as he got up, but just forcing and willing himself to get to his feet. The fans at Staples Center loved it. I mean, they, they cheered John Molina just for getting up. To get up from a body shot like that in the first round and fight all the way to the eighth round shows just what a tough motherfucker John Molina Jr. is. But uh, he was dropped once again in the seventh round, and I don't know why the hell Molina's corner didn't stop the fight. I thought that was um, atrocious. They should have stopped that fight after the fifth or sixth round Nobody would have minded. But they let him go out even in the eighth round. And the referee, Ray Corona, did his job, stopped the fight. Um, after I, I think the eighth round started with Lopez landing just three, four, five, six unanswered punches, and they stopped the fight. So, look, uh, Jose Cito Lopez, um, he's been in some wars himself, but he, he started training recently with Robert Garcia. He's, he looks rejuvenated. Now, some of that might be matchmaking. He fought a very rusty, coming off an injury, Keith Thurman earlier this year and had moments, did very well in that fight. I thought he clearly lost, but he had moments. And then he just brutally beat down John Molina Jr., former title challenger himself. So Jose Zito Lopez looks pretty good, and you figure he's going to be back in the title mix for one of these PBC belts at some point. Uh, that just seems to be how this thing works. It's a round-robin tournament, which I'll talk more about in a minute here. Also, uh, next up, Mario Barrios. This was the controversial decision of the night. Not the main event, this fight. Mario Barrio scores a unanimous decision. If any fight should have been a split decision, it was this. Over Batir Akhmedov wins the vacant WBA super lightweight title. Scores were 116-111, 115-111, 114-112. I can live with the 114-112 score. That's fine because that's essentially scoring it even in terms of rounds and then the two knockdowns. Barrios did drop Akhmadov twice. Akhmadov was diving in kind of head first and just punches and bunches, looping him up. He was the shorter, 
uh, guy, not just in height, but also arm length. So he was kind of having to lean in, work his way in. Neither of these guys jabbed at all. There was barely any jabs thrown. It was all power punches. But if I look at overall jabs, uh, Akhmadov did land 57 jabs to Barrios's 22, I believe. And he landed 181 power punches to Barrios's 113. Now, clearly, Barrios's meant more because he dropped Akhmadov twice. But check this out. This was really a, a tale of two halves, this fight. In the second half of the fight, Akhmadov outlanded Barrios 164 to 58. That is not, that's not a typo. He outlanded him 164 to 58. So in terms of punches landed, which is what you're supposed to score, and I get it, guys, CompuBox isn't 100% accurate, but they've done studies, I've talked about this. They score within the 90th percentile. So there's a 10% variance, okay? It could be anywhere from 1% to 10% off. Even if this is 10% off, two different ways. 164 to 58 is pretty dominant. Akhmadov, I thought, swept the final rounds of the second half of the fight, except when he got dropped late. That mistake really cost him. And again, I agree with the 114-112 scorecard. Now, if you scored this for Akhmadov, I agree with that too. It could really kind of go either way. The most I feel you could give Barrios is six rounds. Really, that's the most you could give him. These other judges that gave him eight rounds and seven rounds, I think that's fair too kind to him. However, I remember telling everybody around me as we were watching that fight ringside, I was telling everyone, man, Akhmadov's got to win nine rounds of this fight to get a draw. I mean, Barrios is the house fighter. PBC has invested a lot of money into him. They want to be able to go back to Dallas. To, to I'm sorry, to Texas. He's from San Antonio. Spence is from Dallas. They've got the Charlos from Houston. They want to keep doing business down there. They got other fighters from Texas, and they want to put these guys on the same cards. They want to put Barrios on undercards and build him up to a point where they can make him a quote-unquote star and then go off and, and do main events with him. That is the plan there. You can see the plan unfolding. This is what they do. And he was going to get this decision, period. So Akhmadov, uh, by the way, Akhmadov's team apparently will file a protest with the WBA. Now, will anything come of that? I don't know. It would be interesting if the WBA uh, demanded a rematch. I'm curious how that would go. I'm curious which guy could do better in the rematch because if you look at the momentum of this fight over the second half, what did I just talk about in terms of punch numbers? Akhmadov, clearly, Akhmadov, clearly had the, um, the momentum going down the stretch and seemed to find some things down the stretch that Barrios just could not adjust to. Barrios being the bigger guy with more power, that kind of maybe bailed him out. It almost was reminiscent in some ways, some ways, of Wilder's fight with Tyson Fury, where those two knockdowns from Wilder kind of bailed him out because he was being outboxed. That's a little bit of what we saw here. Akhmadov wasn't necessarily outboxing Barrios. He was outworking him. So if you look at his face at the end of the fight, Barrios' face, he looked like the fly. I mean, seriously, he looked really, really bad. So um, that told the story to me. Anyway, co-main, David Benavidez improves to 22-0, 19 knockouts, TKO 9 win over a very tough, brave Anthony Durrell, who really did come in to try to win this fight. He wasn't laying down. I, I got to give him credit. I thought this was going to be over in six, seven rounds. It went longer, especially with that nasty cut. 
So um, let's talk about, well, first, uh, apparently these two guys each got a million dollar purse. So they each, they split $2 million for this fight. I don't know how the challenger gets just as much money as the titleist, but he was the A-side here. I can tell you at Staples Center, David Benavidez, there was a lot of his fans in the house that traveled from Arizona. He got a huge reception from the fans, and Durrell got a lot of booze. However, he got cut in the sixth round from a punch, and clearly Durrell has scar tissue all over his eyes. He's been cut several times. I, I couldn't tell if it was from an elbow, a punch, but I was told by uh, folks uh, that were watching at home, dude, it was from a punch. That, you know, we were able to see the replay. It was legit from a punch. And just that scar tissue opened up. That's what happens to these dudes who are prone to cuts. Darrell's always been one of those guys. This cut was much worse than Tyson Fury's cut a few weeks back against Otto Valin. Much worse. Fury's cut bled more because it happened so early. I think his cut happened in like the second round or whatever. And for rounds and rounds and rounds, um, he was just bleeding. But this cut happened in the sixth round. So it was only a couple rounds he was working with there. And um, so it didn't bleed as much. But if you look at where he was cut, it was bad. Falco Lombardi says Fury had two cuts. Yes, but it was one big cut early on that caused all the drama. The other cut was smaller, and that came later on. So anyway, uh, Darrell deserves credit because he kept fighting. A lot of people thought he was just going to be a pushover in this fight. He really kept fighting. And he didn't expose Benavidez, but Benavidez's feet are slow. And one thing that I learned from watching this fight, we already kind of knew this, but it was just substantiated a little bit more in this fight. Guys who can move and box are going to give David Benavidez problems. He is quite one-dimensional. He's huge for that division, and as long as he can make 168, he's going to have a chance to really give uh, anybody, obviously everybody, problems. His, he's going to have the ability to overpower a lot of guys, and that's really what he did to Durrell. But against a young guy who can move and crack just enough to get respect, a guy like Caleb Plant, I don't know if Benavidez is going to be as effective. Against a tall, long guy that can has a super, super long straight jab in uh, Callum Smith, I don't know how effective he's going to be against him. So David Benavidez, right now, you want to rate him number one? I don't know. I think Callum Smith should be rated number one. In fact, I think we have him as champ at, at the ring because he went through the tournament. But I don't know how, he, how Benavidez is going to do against those guys. I'd love to see those fights, especially him and Callum Smith. They're both PBC guys. That would be a title unification. We should see that in 2020. We really, really should. There's no excuse. Callum Smith's next fight is against a journeyman-level opponent that he's going to destroy, by the way. Uh, so anyway, Durrell deserves credit. He came to win. He did well early on. Benavidez did what he was supposed to do, overpower the older, smaller fighter. And the cut, it didn't hurt. Okay, main event time. And I should mention that the uh, announced attendance was 16,702 at Staples Center. So that's nowhere near a sellout, but it's a damn good crowd. It's a good crowd that showed up. Now, I was told by somebody close to the situation that upwards of 5,000 of those tickets were comped. That's just, you know, par for the course. I get it. But even if you're giving comped tickets... 5,000 people that got free tickets or severely discounted tickets showed up. Overall, 16,702 people were in the house to watch this event, and it was a very loud, energetic atmosphere. Good crowd, and I got to say, once again, 
I'll talk about David Benavidez. For a, a co-main, the, the arena was nearly full for that fight. So that kind of made it a good atmosphere. Too many times in American boxing, the crowd doesn't really fill in until the main event. And they were, they were there. In the, I'd say it was 80, 90% of the crowd was in their seats for David Benavidez's fight. So, so that was really a big deal, I thought. That, was, that is what helped make the atmosphere so much fun, is that everybody was there well before the main event started. So main event, Errol Spence improves to 26-0 with a split decision win over Sean Porter, who drops to 33-1, unifies WBC, IBF, welterweight titles. Apparently, each man was guaranteed a $2 million purse for this fight. That's what was reported by the California Athletic or State Athletic Commission. Of course, there will be pay-per-view upside. What I found interesting about that is that Errol Spence was guaranteed $3 million for Mikey Garcia, was guaranteed $2 million against Sean Porter. So clearly, PBC felt this card would not be as profitable. They felt, and look, I mean, they did 45,000 or more, almost 50,000 fans in Dallas. They did 16,000 here, and almost a third of it was comped. Um, at least 3,000 of them were comped. I was told three to 5,000 were comped by a very, very good industry source. Somebody that, it, who told me, you know, about the ESPN, Fury, Valine thing, you know, and I talked about that. There were more comps for that fight than tickets sold. This, there were a lot more tickets sold than comped. So compared to Fury, Valine, this was a massive success, okay? Although the Fury, Valine tickets were much more expensive. But anyway, I digress. The brass at PBC must have felt this wouldn't do as well and sell as well as Spence Garcia. And some of that had to do with the location, because Spence is from Dallas. That fight was in Dallas, but also opponent. Mikey Garcia was absolutely the financial commercial A-side for that fight. And I took a lot of heat from some local Dallas media people who disagreed with me on that. They've all disappeared now that it's kind of been proven with math. Of course, that's how all this shit goes. You got your blue check mark on Twitter with your 300 followers. Good for you, bro. Some of these guys, man, they love to talk shit and criticize. When they're found out to be incorrect, they disappear. When I get, when I make a mistake, I own up to it. It's okay to make mistakes. Anyway, all right, this fight. A lot has been made about the scoring. And so two judges had a 116-111. There was a knockdown in the 11th, so eight rounds to four for Spence with a knockdown. I agree with those scores. By the way, I'm not the only one. There are a lot of people that had that score. There are some people ringside who had it wider. 117, 110. I I think that's too wide. But there are a lot of people who either had it 115, 112 for Spence, 116, 111 for Spence. That was, dare I say, 90% of ringside media. But there were little pockets of people that thought, oh man, Porter won this fight. Here's what I saw. Spence won the early rounds. This was three fights, four-round chunks. The first third of the fight, Spence won. You want to give Porter one of those rounds? Fine, I ain't mad at you. The middle rounds, and this is, this is the important part, that, that second third of the fight, Porter won. And that surprised me. You guys know, you watched my preview show last week with Steve Kim, last Thursday. We both said Spence was going to win this fight. He thought it was going to be wider than I did. I thought the 10-to-1 odds were too wide, I thought this was gonna. Be, I thought Porter was gonna win three or four rounds. I thought it was gonna be a competitive fight, but what I didn't expect 
was for Porter to really get some serious work done in that second third of the fight, rounds five through eight, where he actually settled down. I, I tweeted about this during the fight, where in between rounds, where Spence, or I'm sorry, Porter does all this hopping around like a bunny or like a bumblebee. I don't, you know how a bee goes from flower to flower pollinating, or a bee hops around the garden, you know? That's kind of what Porter does. He hops all over the place. He's jumping and blah, 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 all over the place. He's not doing a lot of punching. By the time his feet are finally planted and he's punching, he's on you. His chest is on your, or actually his head is on your chest, and he's winging these looping like MMA kind of punches that are very ineffective. And most of them are smothered or caught, were caught by Spence. Spence rolled with a lot of them, pushed a lot of them off, smothered them, patted them down, and they weren't scoring. The fans were eating the shit up. I was so surprised. I mean, there were there was a bunch of drunk idiots behind us in press row that were going nuts. They thought Porter was dominating the early rounds. I have, by the way, one judge agreed, Larry Hazard Jr., who most have been smoking crack or PCP or something, maybe meth, I don't know, one of them before the fight. But there were fans in the crowd who were drunk as shit. They reeked of beer and pot. Out, pretty much all of L.A., Smells like beer and pot and human feces as well. <laughs> More about that in another video. But uh, that's how the crowd smelled behind us. And these guys were eating that shit up. They thought Porter jumping in, lunging in like an MMA fighter with his head down and arms flailing sideways like this. I, it looked like a cartoon. I'm, I'm not trying to bash Sean Porter. I like Sean Porter and his father, Kenny. Awesome relationship. Good guys. Off camera, super, super humble, great guys. They play some stuff up on camera to help sell fights. And he did a wonderful job marketing this fight. But him getting in there and doing that stuff early on, it wasn't scoring. It wasn't scoring. Second, third of the fight, he started to score. Why? Because he actually stopped hopping around like a fucking bunny. He planted his feet, moved forward, controlled controlled movements, whether he was going forward or he gave angles. He was doing some nice little pivots in those middle rounds, getting real usable angles on Spence and hitting him clean with shots that snapped Spence's head back. He And even when he wasn't punching, his movements were pushing Spence and keeping Spence on his back foot. So I thought he really won the second third of the fight. I did not expect that. I expected him to get a round here and there and make a push late and end up having three, four rounds. I thought you could almost give him three of those four rounds from five to eight. He really, really did a good job in that section to catch up. At that point, going into the final third of the fight, it was close. It was up for grabs. I had Spence winning by maybe a round or so. Spence made an adjustment late, and he does he deserves credit for this because I haven't heard anybody talk about this. Spence, it, it just it, it's boggling my mind that people couldn't see this. People that should know better. He made an adjustment late. He was able to get range once again. Porter closed the range in those middle rounds. Spence reestablished it later on. He, he made an adjustment, and some of the body work that he had done early on that he wasn't getting credit for, which, by the way, I do have to say, a lot of those punches were low. I'll go ahead and say that. 
Referee Jack Reese did not catch some of those low blows from Errol Spence. They were effective later on. Porter had clearly slowed down, but Spence had reestablished his range and was able to land those straight punches that mattered. If you look at who made the fight, who pressed the action, who made it exciting, who, who was, uh, I guess, moving with, I don't know what words to use, explosiveness, bursts, that was Porter. Porter was lunging in and it, it looked exciting. To me, it just it reminded me of the way MMA is marketed. And I'm not trying to say that to bash MMA. I get it. It's what makes those fights exciting for people. But him lunging in there and doing all that wasn't always being very effective. And Spence, down the stretch, some of the early work he had put in and some of the work in between Porter's really good work in the middle rounds that he was getting in those, those body punches, which did include low blows, paid off in the last third of the fight, where I thought he completely swept the championship rounds. I, obviously, he dropped Porter late and had him hurt. I thought that uh, at the end of the fight, Spence looked very good and fresh, and Porter looked uh, weathered. Porter's skin doesn't swell, he doesn't cut, but he looked a little weathered, just from body language. And I thought that Spence clearly won this fight. If you scored this fight for Porter, here's what I want you to do, okay? I want you to go back, re-watch it with the broadcast team muted. I don't want you to listen to the broadcast. I don't want you to listen to the crowd. I want you to watch it with no volume. And I want you to pay very close attention to who's doing the more consistent work for all three minutes of a round. Not, and who's setting things up, who's setting traps, who's building a script. That was Errol Spence, not Sean Porter. And again, I like Sean Porter, and he did well. He did about as well as, maybe slightly better than I expected. Maybe slightly better, but not... Some people were blown away with how well he did. I wasn't. Not at all. I expected him... What did I say weeks before? This, listen to my radio previews on various radio shows talking about this fight. I said that Porter was going to be the toughest test of Errol Spence's career. And some people thought, oh, you're crazy. He just fought Mikey Garcia. This pound for pound, great fight. Well... Sean Porter had more success in one round. I can't remember which round. There was a round, it was five, six, seven, that he won pretty big. And he hurt, didn't hurt, but he got Spence's attention a couple times. He had more success in that one round than Mikey Garcia did in 12 rounds. Think about that, okay? I think, Gail, what did you just say? Let me go back to Gail's comment here. I just uh, flashed him. All judges gave Porter the second, fourth, and seventh. Two gave him the ninth. He didn't get any other rounds for more than one judge. Yeah, Larry Hazard's scorecard doesn't count. It was atrocious. I think it was the seventh round, Gail, that sticks out to me, where um, he clearly won. And like I, I saw some things in that seventh round where I was like, wow, I didn't expect that. And I think it was that seventh round where I remember telling myself, Man, Porter had more success in that seventh round than Mikey Garcia did in all 12 rounds. So um, he, he did some things in those, that middle chunk of the fight that really did impress me. I, he deserves credit for it. And he's the reason that fight was exciting. Chuck Hook is asking, could the seventh round have been a 10-8? No, no, it was nowhere near a 10-8 round, uh, Chuck Hook. But it was uh, a very clear 10-9 round. 
Spence wasn't hurt. At any point in the fight, Spence was never hurt. He was moved a couple times, and, and Porter got his attention, but he was never hurt. That's the difference. Um, and, and by the way, and I'll talk more about this in a second, but Spence's power, can we say now it's a little overrated? He's not the only fighter in the world with overrated power. But people were talking like he's this one-hitter-quitter kind of guy because he was drilling guys like Leonard Bundu, okay? Against the top 10 welterweights, who is he drilled? Who is he destroyed? You could talk about Kell Brook, but remember, Kell Brook was coming off of facial reconstructive surgery and coming down two weight divisions. So I, I kind of don't want to hear about that. There's no elite, or I won't say elite, just top 10 welterweight that Errol Spence has ever, boom, one hit or quittered. Never. He's not that kind of puncher. He's going to get you more with volume, and he's going to get you by setting it up. That's, that's how he punches. And Porter's never been a good puncher because he smothers his work. Porter's never going to really hurt you. Had Porter landed some of those punches with full extension on Spence, maybe he could have hurt him. But then again, if he threw him from full extension, Spence would have had more time to react and slip him. I think why some of those punches did land is because he does dive in from such awkward angles. Okay, what else um, about this fight can I mention before I get into the PBC rant? Um, Okay, one of you guys was uh, questioning me on Twitter and on Facebook about uh, press row tweeting during fights. And does that affect some of their ability to properly score a fight? Because we see increasingly guys on press row... Uh, putting out really shitty scorecards. You know, there are a lot of guys tweeting on press row during the fight. I watch and I see that. Uh, For some of the guys, particularly guys who are maybe 60 or older, I don't know if it's the best thing for them to do because they're holding their phone like this and typing like this, okay? You know, one letter at a time as they tweet. Now, a guy like me... What you guys, and a lot of people on Press Row, what you guys don't know is, you know, you get good at typing with your laptop. And as I look right here into my camera, as I talk to you guys, I can type out 60, 70 words a minute while I'm talking to you guys, and I can type out a conversation on my computer. You get good at multitasking and typing without looking at the screen. So when I tweet during a fight, number one, I do it between rounds, but during the round, I might write a note or two. And I also do that when I'm covering Deadline and I'm posting an article on a site, whether it's Ring or Boxing News 24 or uh, Boxing Monthly, wherever it is. If I'm covering Deadline for that fight, during the round, I'm writing notes. I'm saying, oh, so-and-so landed a big left hook about halfway into the sixth round. That changed the pace of the fight. You know, I'm writing a note during the round, but I'm doing it without looking at my computer screen. I'm looking in the ring and observing everything as I write that. So for me, and that's how a lot of guys do it, um, guys who can do that, women, to, guys, I shouldn't say, when I say guys, I don't just mean men, I mean men and women, just had to get that out there in this crazy political environment we live in these days. Some guys can do it that way. I'm one of them, okay? I've learned how to do that. And a lot of the younger guys, some of the older guys can do it that way. I do see some people ringside, though, who are looking at their phone the entire fucking round. They're playing on their phone. Or they're yapping to the person to the right or to the left of them. Or they're drinking a beer, which you should never be doing ringside. Or they're cheering a fight. They're like, oh, come on, dude, use the jab. Come on, baby, use the jab. During, during, 
dude, you're press. Shut up. Shut up and, and, and just, you know, comment on the fight that you're seeing. So I do see a lot of that stuff ringside. And yes, I do think that affects people's ability to score a fight properly. But most of us le- have learned how to, you know, see what's going on in the ring and without looking, do a no-look type, whether it's, you know, a tweet or just notes for our article later on the laptop. And that's okay. All right? Did I see, is Levante early on here? Levante, what's up, my man? Dude, you look great. I, I watched from my hotel. Um, you look great last week, man. So congrats on the title that you won. By the way, I know the president of the NBA, and I didn't even realize I did. I'm friends with him. So uh, we chatted a little bit about you offline, man. More to come. I will be up in Charlotte next weekend. My sister is getting married. So maybe Saturday, maybe next Saturday morning, Tiff and I will come there in the gym and check you guys out. Um, I'll, I'll let you guys know. We'll chat offline, brother. But you look great. Congrats last weekend, man. And uh, by the way, I chatted with some folks about you. So we'll talk when I see you up there uh, next week. All right. Okay. Let's see what else here. Okay. What's next for uh, for Errol Spence? So for Sean Porter, look, great effort. Did everything he was supposed to do. Did just enough to lose and make it exciting. And Errol Spence moves on. He's the brand. I was told by somebody very close to the situation, very, very close to the situation, that the plan for 2020 is this. You're going to get Danny Garcia versus Errol Spence. Why? I don't know. Danny Garcia literally just got beat by the guy Errol Spence just beat. Danny Garcia lost to Sean Porter. Errol Spence just beat Sean Porter. Now he's going to fight Danny Garcia. Here's what's crazy, guys. Danny Garcia is going to take Errol Spence the distance in a fairly interesting, fairly exciting fight. More on that in a second. Also, you're going to get Manny Pacquiao versus Mikey Garcia next year. I like that fight better, but Manny's going to want to fight at 147. Mikey's been saying he wants to kind of go maybe down to 140. Nope, he's going to stay at 147. By the way, those are probably both going to be pay-per-views. So this pay-per-view thing at PBC is going to continue. The first half of next year, you're going to get Spence, Danny Garcia. You're going to get Pacquiao, Mikey Garcia. And then you know what you're going to get later next year? Errol Spence and Manny Pacquiao. That's what you're going to get next year. Um, yeah, so I talked about the smaller purse for this fight. Okay, I talked about all that stuff. I'm just looking at my notes here. Let's get into this rant about PBC and the welterweight situation. And then I'll get back to the chat and um, we'll have uh, some Q&A time, all right? Jack Alter asks, what if Garcia beats Spence? He won't, but if he does, it's still all in-house, but he's not going to beat Spence. He's going to do exactly what all these guys do. Have you not seen the pattern yet, ladies and gentlemen? Have you not seen the pattern? Let's just go ahead and get into this rant. All of these PBC welterweight fights, going back to 2015 when PBC started. What was it? Thurman and Robert Guerrero, I think. I can't remember. It might have been Thurman Guerrero. But Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia, Sean Porter, Robert Guerrero. Now you can add in Manny Pacquiao, Errol Spence, Mikey Garcia. We could throw Jose Cito Lopez has been in the mix. Before that, it was Andre Berto. What have you noticed about almost all of these fights? They're all close, competitive, go the distance. They're almost always a split decision. 
You rarely get a unanimous decision. Almost always, one judge has it the other way. Have you not noticed that pattern? It's a majority decision, a split decision. You never or rarely get a unanimous decision. But what you don't get, what you haven't got in five years almost, five years, is a complete unification and clarity in this situation. It's just this round robin, dangling the carrot, manipulating the fan base to draw this thing out. In the fights that you were promised for free in 2015, you got a couple of them. Thurman, Danny Gar- Keith Thurman, Danny Garcia was a very good welterweight matchup at that time. And that was on free TV. And that, 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 was, that was like, wow, PBC delivered here. This is a fight that they promised. I think you had to wait over two years for that. I want to say that was in 2017. Correct me if I'm wrong. But all these fights, man, all these fights, not, not one of these dudes, even, even Saturday night, I didn't think Spence significantly separated himself from Sean Porter. It was a competitive... I thought he won seven or eight rounds, but it was competitive. It's not as if he won ten rounds to two. He didn't separate himself. None of these guys have. So what does that say? Does that say all these guys are all-time greats, Hall of Famers? Or are they all a little overrated? Are they all possibly just a little overrated and not one of them is truly levels above the rest, levels above the field? What did I talk about at the top of the show? The poll I did. Who are the three be- who's the best welterweight? There's those three names right now. Terrence Crawford, Errol Spence, Manny Pacquiao. Think about this, guys. Just a year or two ago, Keith Thurman was the number one guy because he beat Danny Garcia. He had unified two titles. He was the, the number one guy, right? He had some inactivity, some, some injuries, some issues. But an old man, an elderly man, Manny Pacquiao, just beat Thurman. Just dropped him and beat him. And he will, mark my words, he will go the distance with Errol Spence next fall. He'll lose. Errol Spence will beat him by split decision, majority decision. One judge will have it for Pacquiao. Two will have it for Spence. It's going to be the same thing. Mikey Garcia will take Manny Pacquiao the distance. Danny Garcia will take Errol Spence the distance. They'll be fairly entertaining fights. They'll be exciting fights. But none none of them are going to be a fight of the year or anything, but they're not going to suck. They'll be good quality fights because the matchups are fairly even because none of these guys is a step above. An elderly Pacquiao is hanging with these dudes and beating a lot of them. What does that tell you? This was the guy who lost to Floyd Mayweather four years ago in 2015. A prime Manny Pacquiao would destroy Keith Thurman. He would beat Errol Spence. He would destroy these guys. So would Floyd. His styles make fights. They'd go the distance with Floyd, but Floyd would dominate. These guys are just not on that level. They're just not. That's, and I'm not saying that to say that they're bad fighters. They're just not on that level. Terrence Crawford probably is on that level. Some of that is eye test because he hasn't fought anybody at welterweight yet. But there's a reason they're not mentioning the guy's name. There is more money in a Terrence Crawford fight. There's certainly more money in a Terrence Crawford fight for Errol Spence than there is against Sean Porter, Danny Garcia, 
maybe even, yeah, absolutely, Mikey Garcia. The only guy who makes him more money than Crawford right now is Manny Pacquiao because he's so famous, he's so popular. So I understand why they're building to that fight. And I don't blame PBC for doing that. It makes sense. It's smart business. Just tell the truth. Market it better. Include Terrence Crawford in your graphics. I just saw earlier today, uh, PBC tweeted, who do you want to see Errol Spence fight next? And it was a picture of him and then pictures of a few other guys. And it was Manny Pacquiao and uh, I can't remember who the other fighters were. Of course, Terrence Crawford's picture wasn't on the graphic. This is almost like when they said, they had a, a, a tweet months ago where they said, who's the best super middleweight in the world? And it had like Caleb Plant, Andre Durrell, and then other. They didn't list Callum Smith. They didn't list Gilberto Ramirez. So it was like 70, 80% said other. They got trolled on their own poll. And now, you know, just last week they tweeted, after this, you know, Errol Spence says he wants to fight the whole world wants. He wants Manny Pacquiao. There was a tweet from PBC, and I just looked at the comments, and there was a bunch of people saying, what about Terrence Crawford, right? And just this tweet I just talked about a second ago, who do you want to see him fight next? Everyone's saying Terrence Crawford. Their PR is so poor with this thing, they could spin it in a much more positive way where they wouldn't look so bad, and they could just say, hey, we want to build to the Terrence Crawford fight. Kind of the way they're doing with the rematch between uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, where there's almost kind of a silent partnership behind the scenes between Fox and ESPN, PBC and Top Rank. They're building to that rematch. So you're getting all these shit fights in between. Well, I actually kind of like the Wilder-Ortiz rematch. Fury's doing shit fights, but it's building to something, right? You actually are getting that slow build. You're not getting that in the welterweight division, and I can't understand it. Why is it okay to go after Fury, but not Crawford, if you don't fear something? Clearly, there's a difference in these two situations. They're cool with going after Fury. They see something there. They know what I know, and a lot of you guys think, no, Wilder's going to beat Fury in the rematch. He's probably going to knock him out. They see that. That's why they're building toward that. But they see something in Terrence Crawford that they don't like. And that's why they're pretending he doesn't even exist. They don't even mention him in their graphics when they talk about the best welterweights in the the world. They don't mention him. They don't mention him in their broadcasts. They're trying to pretend the WBO title don't exist. Meanwhile, Terrence Crawford is rated number one or number two on just about every single boxing media platform on earth. And they're trying to pretend he doesn't exist. All right, Boxing Lawyer says he was on the PBC graphics this weekend. Well, I didn't see the broadcast, so if you're not lying, good for them. But that would be the first time in ages they've shown him. And I could tell you from their tweets earlier today, they weren't including him. So that, my friend, is a double standard. They need to include him on their tweets and polls and everything else. Oh, we got a super chat pledge from Harrison Property. Thank you so much. He says, Leonard Ellerby's delusional rantings about Tank Davis are borderline insane. Please sometime soon interview Leonard Ellerby and challenge him on Tank's legitimacy. You know, maybe I'll do that. Maybe I'll do that. Um, I think Leonard knows what he's doing and he plays it up on social. But you know what? If I can get Leonard to do like a Google chat or something, sure, we can make that happen. Why not? Thank you very much, man, for the, uh, for the super chat. And I agree with you. I, I mean, look, I should state this, man. All promoters do it. All publicists do it. 
They all do it. It's, it's their job. If you're a publicist or a promoter, you're supposed to exaggerate your fighter's legacy and what they've accomplished. That's, that's what you're doing. You're promoting your fighter. You are a promoter. So I understand it. So I get why Leonard L.O.B. does it. I get why all these guys do it. Grandpa Bob does it with the whole lineal thing with Tyson Fury that I've been bitching and ranting about. But this thing at PBC with the welterweights, guys, I keep hearing, well, all, fight, all promoters do this. All promoters delay the big matchups and try to get their uh, fighters soft touches and try to delay the big, big money fights and build it up. Yes, that's true. But look at the World Boxing Super Series which works with several different promoters around the world. Dude, in a year, they completely unified the cruiserweight division. And what I talked about before about a fighter separating themselves, when Alexander Usyk fought in the World Boxing Super Series tournament last year, he separated himself. He so clearly was better than the field, man. What did Terrence Crawford do at 140 pounds? That was ESPN, by the way, completely unified the 140-pound division in what, a year? And Terrence Crawford whooped everyone's ass. He absolutely separated himself from the pack. Now, was that division as strong as the welterweight division is right now? No. But was it that much weaker? No. Maybe the welterweight division's a, a little better. But it's not like it's levels above. Also, uh, top rank is about to unify the entire lightweight division. In what, a year? Since Mikey Garcia slash PBC got out of the lightweight division. Look what Top Rank did with it. Lomachenko has three of the titles. Next year, early, uh, I think February, around the Super Bowl, we're going to get complete unification at lightweight. We're about to see uh, Artur Baturbiev and Oleksandr Vajdik unify light heavyweight titles. 140, Top Rank worked with, um, oh, who was, uh, I want to say it was Matchroom, was Maurice Hooker's promoter. Jose Carlos Ramirez fought Maurice Hooker. Unified titles there at 140. Once Pro Gray and Taylor fight the World Boxing Super Series and unify their titles, don't be surprised if next year the winner between Taylor and Pro Gray fights Jose Carlos Ramirez and you once again get complete unification at 140. Other promoters are unifying titles and clearing up divisions. Maybe not all four titles, but you're getting a number one versus number two, a number one versus number three. You're getting clarity in these other divisions. Meanwhile, you're getting it, yeah, is it stretched out over two years maybe, a year and a half, two and a half years? Fine. Over at PBC, they've owned the welterweight division for five years, and you still don't have clarity. The top guy, the fighter many see as the top guy, can't get a fight with even their B-level dudes. Bob Aram and Top Rank have made offers to Danny Garcia multiple times. He's told not to go that route. They want to put him in in a pay-per-view fight against Errol Spence. There is a different game being played over there. I understand why they're doing it, but I'm just telling you guys the legi- like, logically why it's happening. No one else is talking about it. No one else is talking. And, and when some of us do talk about it, not- everything I'm saying here is objective. Nothing I'm saying is hating. We get called haters. I saw some tweet from one of the PBC journalists this weekend saying, oh, they're moving the goalpost. Now a win over Sean Porter isn't enough. Now they're going to complain about Errol Spence fighting Danny Garcia. Dude, nobody wants to see that fight. It doesn't prove shit. It's a good, look, it's a good quality fight. I'm not going to say it's a shitty fight. Danny Garcia is a top 10 
welterweight, but it's not the fight people want. It's not clarifying things at welterweight. We know Errol Spence is going to beat Danny Garcia. It will be a fairly entertaining fight. He will win a 115, 113, 116, 112, maybe drop him once. It'll look a lot like Porter, Thurman, Guerrero. All these guys fighting each other. That's how all those fights look. Watch one judge give it to Danny Garcia just to make people on Twitter talk. I see a pattern here, guys. Who's being manipulated here? You are, the fans. Boxing Lawyer with the Super Chat Pledge. Thank you very, very much, my man. He says, Heyman put four guys into the World Boxing Super Series. Aram has not put any fighters in. You are absolutely correct about that. 100% correct. Bob Aram, Grandpa Bob does not do tournaments because in that tournament, you have to sign over promotional control to Saralyn and to the, tur- the tournament. So you are involved, but you do not make any decisions. You basically sign your fighter over briefly to the tournament, and Bob Arum doesn't do contracts like that. Keep in mind, Al Heyman's not a, technically not a promoter, so he can still have control over his fighter as an advisor and put a fighter in that tournament. It's a very different deal. Also, uh, Uncle, Uncle Al didn't put any of his A-lister fighters in those tournaments. He put his B and C-level fighters in those tournaments uh, and took a chance. He hasn't put any of his stars in those tournaments. So, I am boxing lawyer. It is a good comment, and I agree. Uh, would I like Bob Arum and Top Rank to go in that tournament? Yes. But, they don't do tournaments, bro. They just don't. However... They do unify titles and they work with other promoters. They just want to have promotional control over their fighter. They don't want to give that up. Top Rank has worked with Matchroom recently. They've worked with Sarlin. They've worked with uh, Al Heyman, obviously. Uh, Debella. You know, they've worked with several different promoters recently. They're willing to work across the, the aisle. So um, the one company that tends to do that the least does seem to be PBC. Um, they when they do work across the aisle, it's those B-level guys. It's those guys who aren't their top-level dudes. They try to keep that in-house. They're not the only promoter that does it. Absolutely not. They all freaking do it. They just seem to do it more. In this whole welterweight division, guys, I'm looking here. Okay, here's another thing. PBC has unified the welter- welterweight titles twice. Go back to 2017 when Thurman beat Danny Garcia. Keith won an... Let's look at the titles these guys unified. Keith won an interim title against Leonard Bundu. Leonard Bundu, a few defenses of the title when he got bumped up to full champ. Danny Garcia won a vacant title against Robert Guerrero. There's that name again. Had one defense against Samuel Vargas. So it's not like these guys had fought a murderer's row of opposition before they unified titles. It was a similar situation this Saturday. Errol Spence's title, I think, was legit. He beat Kell Brook, and then he's had several defenses. I think he's a legit welterweight title holder. But Sean Porter won, once again, vacant title. It's always the BC that leaves vacant titles open for Uncle Al fighters. Sean Porter, vacant title against Danny Garcia. There's that name again. Round and round this thing goes. And now Danny Garcia is about to fight Spence. For the unified title, even though he just lost, he somehow deserves a... By the way, Mikey Garcia just lost. They're both, they're both about to get pay-per-view uh, main event paydays. Try to explain that shit to me. 
And then Sean Porter had one defense against Jordanis Ugas, who many felt beat him. So, so he, he won a vacant title and then defended it once in a fight that many people felt he lost and then came in and fought Spence. And now the guy he beat for the vacant title is about to fight Spence. Guys, can you not see the game that is being played here? Again, I don't blame PBC. I just don't like that the way that they're trying to slip some of this shit under the radar and they have folks in the quote-unquote media, guys with a credential that are basically friends who do puff pieces, who don't ask hard questions. And I'm going to get accused of doing the same thing. You don't ask hard questions about top rank. Really? I was the guy last week tweeting that Tyson Fury's fight with Otto Valin had more comps than tickets sold. Guess who got nasty, nasty grams on Twitter from people at top rank? I got, you know, Mike, Jesus, come on, man. You I talk shit about all the, all the platforms when they deserve it, okay? PBC deserves a hell of a lot of shit for this. The only difference is there are people in the media that try to make this political. They try to make it about demographics or this, that, the other. It has nothing to do with that. It has to do with fans being manipulated, sold a bag of bullshit, you want to put this stuff on free TV like you promised everybody? Cool. You want to charge $5 a month on an app or something? Cool. But you're charging $80 a pop for these. And these are predictable fights where we know the outcome. It's going to be the same type of fight. I'm telling you right now, Danny Garcia takes Errol Spence to distance, unless there's some kind of freak knockout. Mikey Garcia takes Manny Pacquiao to distance. And then Manny Pacquiao is going to take Errol Spence to distance. Telling you, and then he's, and then what? And then what is Errol Spence going to do after all that? He's going to move up to 154. That's what's going to, ha- guys. Uh, I'm going to take so much shit on social media for the next 15 to 18 months for saying this shit. I'm the only one in the media doing it, and get every all this shit's going to happen. All this is going to play out, and all you motherfuckers dissing me are going to disappear 18 months from now. Timestamp this shit, bitches. 2021, come back and look at this video. What else? I got some more notes here. I want to make sure I got everything on here. I mentioned top rank unifying 135, 140. The unifying title is at 175. The World Boxing Super Series completely unified cruiserweight last year. They clarified things at super middleweight. They're getting you a unified champion, at, a lineal champion at super lightweight when Pro Gray and Taylor fight. Bantamweight, you're getting clarity at Bantamweight. There are other platforms... So, obviously, Top Rank is on ESPN, World Boxing Super Series on zone, on other platforms where you're paying, oh, dude, $80 for a pay-per-view. Spence Porter went exactly the way I told you it would. Not exactly. Very much the way I told you it would. You could have saved $80 and bought a year of ESPN+. Plus. You could have bought almost a year of zone, And then you're getting all those other unifications and clarity in all these other divisions. I don't know how much clear this shit can be to you guys, but yet, nothing I'm saying is hateful. None of my rhetoric is hateful or double stand. There's none of that going on here, but that's what people are going to spin it as in the media. And that's the kind of shit that drives me nuts. Harrison Property with another super chat. He says, Mike, your face is turning red. (laughs) Thank you for the super chat. I actually turned off the the AC right before I... uh, went live because I didn't want the, the fan is like right here by the window. I didn't want the fan blowing into the microphone. So it's getting hot in here. 
and I'm getting hot in here ranting about this shit. All right, let's do some Q&A, and then we'll drop off, guys. We'll be going here for over an hour. <sighs> Muscle Memory says, does David Avenesian stopping Kerman the Haraga in the first round this past weekend in Spain earn him a top 10 welterweight nod? Certainly makes that Mean Machine 2018 TKO look better. I agree with you. That was a good uh, performance, and I forgot to mention that. David Avenesian did fight this weekend, had a good quality win. He's right there on the right there on the top 10, dude. Let me pull up the top 10 ratings right now, since you're asking me that question, because I was actually looking at this earlier. Uh, he might be knocking on the door. Let's see. Welterweight, top 10 ratings. You know, yeah, right, right now, dude, Right now, he's still just outside of it because you've got Errol Spence, Terrence Crawford, Pacquiao, Thurman, Porter, Danny Garcia, Ugas, uh, Igadidris Kavaliauskas, the mean machine. Sergey Lipinets had a good win earlier this year in, in a fight of the year candidate. He deserves to be in the top 10. And then I think the IBF mandatory out of Uzbekistan, Kudryatilo Abdukakarov. Abdukakarov. So he's deserves that 10th spot right now more so than Avenesian but he's right there dude knocking on the door good question good question uh John Gary Navidez says 168 has Plant Benavidez Smith and Saunders yes um Plant and Benavidez should fight if you're PBC and you got two of the top guys have them fight have them fight and solidify uh, a unified champion there. Callum Smith is seen right now as the lineal champ, the top dog, because he went through the World Boxing Super Series tournament. But in my opinion, that division is still kind of wide open. I do rate Smith number one. But if you want to have a serious discussion, if you want your one of your guys to be right there in the in the mix, have Plant and Benavidez fight next year. That fight makes too much sense. Jack Alter asks, who would win... Ah, I lost your question, man. The chat's updated so quick. Who would win Crawford versus Spence and how? Right now, Terrence Crawford beats Errol Spence by decision. Do I think he knocks him out or anything? No. It's possible because he would shoot the shots from, from range, from long range, and he'd get more leverage on him. He'd also switch southpaw and do it effectively. Uh, so I, th- I do think it's possible Crawford could stop him late, but not probable. I think Spence is the naturally bigger guy. So I think that Crawford will win a unanimous decision against Errol Spence. MJB Taco says, dude, this guy really wants you to know that Barrios is the real champ. (laughs) Barrios, are you talking about yourself or Mario Barrios? Because you, my man, are indeed the champ. uh, Mario Barrios, I don't know, I don't know. Stay Gifted says Pacquiao is still lighting motherfuckers up at 40. Yeah, but here's the thing. Manny Pacquiao wanted none of Terrence Crawford at 140 pounds when they were um, when Crawford was at 140 and he was willing to move up to 47 to fight Pacquiao and they were both with top rank. Bob Arum wanted that fight. Uh, Terrence Crawford wanted that fight. They were willing to give extreme concessions to Manny Pacquiao. He did not want that fight. And when Manny Pacquiao was offered a fight against Keith Thurman for less money than he would have got for fighting... Terrence Crawford, he said, hell yeah, I'll fight Keith Thurman, I'll fight one time, but he didn't want none of Terrence Crawford, that's all I'm saying here, guys, it, it's so obvious 
what's being done. It's right in front of you. Just read between the lines. All I'm doing for you is giving you the fine print. I'm reading in, in between the lines for you. This isn't me hating. And I'm not saying other promoters don't pull shit. Don't pull politics. Grandpa Bob is full. Half the shit Grandpa Bob says is bullshit. They all do it. Okay? But it's being done a lot more on one side of the aisle right now. And they're charging you $80 a pop. I'm just telling you the truth, man. You can either call me a hater or you can thank me for telling you the goddamn truth. This is why I don't have as many subscribers as the dudes who do some of the puff pieces. This is why I don't get invited to all the dinners I used to get invited to five, six years ago that I stopped getting invited to. I don't do favors. I don't do puff pieces. Andre Smith asks, who is more of a fireman? Spencer Porter. You know, look, if anyone gets the fireman award, it was Porter. Porter made that fight exciting. So he, Sean Porter gets the fireman award, but Spence wins the fight. Uh, Amelie Anamone asks, uh, Canelo continuing to avoid Vada? If so, is uh, Kovalev doing Vada? Very good question. Canelo and Kovalev are doing Vada for their fight. So they are both signed up and they are both doing Vada for their fight. It's already started and it will go through uh, their fight. So no worries about that. Um, all right, guys, we're going to go here in a minute. I'm going to drop here in a minute. Let's see. Salem Mooney says, hey, Mike, you misspoke earlier about the fight at 140. It wasn't for the WBA title. Regis Progray is the WBA champ. Barrios is fighting for the regular belt, which means you definitely ain't champ. Okay, well, whatever, semantics. Technically, it was for the WBA regular belt. You know what to think about the WBA. I took a shit this morning that's worth more. It's more valuable. The shit that I flushed this morning is more valuable than the WBA super franchise suck my cock belt. There you go. Humble Pie says, Bob Aaron protected Crawford from Manny. Absolutely false. Absolutely false. Crawford wanted to fight. Grandpa Bob wanted to fight. Manny Pacquiao and his advisor at that time did not want that fight. It was Manny Pacquiao who avoided Terrence Crawford, not the other way around. I don't care what the LDBC tells you. All right, guys, on that note, we're going to leave it here. Um, We've been going for over 70 minutes, and I need to turn the AC back on. We be AIDS. <laughs> I got to go on that one right there. Zakali92 says, We be AIDS. I love it. That is the WBA. MJB Taco says, Ready for Usyk. Hell yeah, brother. I'll see you in Chicago, my man. That's going to be a lot of fun. All right, guys. I hope you enjoyed the episode. Uh, I got a lot of ranting out today. I think it was fun. Uh, we'll do it again Thursday, and I'll be back in Atlanta for that one. All right. I'll see you at the fights. <laughs>